yeah, that's the total opposite of of everything that you know we've talked about already. It it totally undermines, it, it obliterates the doctrine of salvation. It obliterates the doctrine of you know sanctification. Um, you know, it, it eliminates. I would say the need for like Ephesians six. Um, you know, the role of spiritual warfare. I mean, there's so. Uh, why did why did you take up the armor of God? Why would you put your sin to death? Um, oh, here's another thing. Why would you ever want to work through any sort of issues with anybody um, if you could just blame it on a demon? I mean, you know, so so there goes personal responsibility out the door. Um, there goes any accountability. Uh, there goes church membership. There goes church discipline. There goes any kind of like you have an issue with somebody. Why would you ever want to, you know, work through any kind of issues in your own marriage? So you just, you know. Uh, harm people's marriages, you harm relationships in the church. Oh, just just blame a demon. And and of course, that's not what the Bible says. Um, and that's not what you know Paul is saying. But that's that's where you have to go when you when you hear something like this. Um, you know, that that's what he's suggesting. He's destroying the need for accountability, the need to reconcile, the need to repent, the need to grow, the need to have the tough conversations with somebody. Um, and it, it causes not only, I'll say, problems biblically and theologically, but it causes problems, you know, for the pastor, for the counselor. It causes problems for the average Christian who wants to work through issues. Uh, just blame a demon. I mean, you you have to pay attention. Theology always has, as R.C. Sproul said, it always has consequences. Ideas have consequences. And this is the consequence of what these guys are saying. And it's it's devastating. But we have to understand that these ideas have consequences. This is why this is why I'm committed to speaking out against it because I see those consequences, and I don't like those consequences um, because they're going to damn it. They're going to just absolutely obliterate and destroy the purity of the gospel, and they're going to destroy the unity um, of, of the spirit in our local churches, and it's going to that's going to impact and hinder our. Uh, witness as a church that those are the stakes in this uh conversation that that we're having with. i've heard one of these deliverance ministers well probably more than one actually basically say i will not attend a church that doesn't do deliverance because it's basically a demon daycare that was their exact words wow. and i think you don't have an understanding of biblical uh, doctrine like you don't have any understanding of sanctification i am not going to attend a gathering where they claim to cast demons out of christians because I think that that is a doctrine of demons. I think that it leaves people in perpetual bondage. And I think that it it does not bring freedom. It is not teaching sound biblical teaching. It is not leading people back to Christ. It is not leading people back to the gospel. It is not leading people back to proper biblical discipleship. It is leading people back to these individuals is what it's doing. And it's not bringing freedom. Nowhere in there did the apostles tell believers Hey, by the way, you need to go so-and-so down the street and every couple months and you need to have demons cast out of you because it's just not it's just not sufficient. And the deliverance ministers won't say it's not sufficient. They will say, well, we believe Christ is sufficient, but your teachings don't support that sufficiency. That's the problem. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Six Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Six Scribe.
everybody. Welcome back to the Equip You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And joining us today is our friend and sister in Christ, uh, Don Hill. Don, welcome back to the show. Hey, Dave. Good to be back. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. Well, guys, we have a we have an exciting announcement uh, about uh, some upcoming projects that Don and I are working on. Uh, one of those is actually uh, two books that uh, we're going to be writing. One is going to be a lay level book and another is going to be a more academic book on, wait for it, deliverance ministry. <laughs> and yeah. And the other thing that we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking a lot about deliverance ministry um, as a whole here, probably like once a month or so um, on each other's shows. And so um, be looking for that. And uh, we'll have, I'm sure, more to say in the coming days about the book project and update you guys on where we're at and all that. But uh, it's exciting. It's exciting. I'm excited about this. Go ahead, Don. Yeah, I am too. Um, Cause I know that being a part of the, the hyper charismatic and um, the new apostolic reformation for a number of years, uh, this is a big area of that movement of that teaching. And so um, I, I think, I know personally, it's, it's important. It's an, it's an important topic to me. I covered, I don't know how many times on my podcast and different facets of it, but it's just really, it's an important area for me because I believe that it's, it's creating a lot of error um, and deception and spiritual bondage in people and diminishing what we're going to be talking about really today, the sufficiency of Christ and the sufficiency of his word. And so I'm excited to to work on it. Yeah, me too. Don's going to be mainly doing like the, you know, the kind of the the more legwork with the, the examples. And I'm going to be coming along and writing uh, a lot of the theology. So and that's not yeah. to say that Don can't write theology. I'm not saying that, but I'm just coming alongside and writing. That's going to be my part of it. So, yeah, it'll yeah. be good. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of where we're headed. But, you know, we want to we've been talking about a lot lately, uh, you know, with Doreen and you and I and I know you have as well on your show. We, we've been talking about deliverance ministry. And I, I thought, as I usually do, it's like, well, somebody might think, why does that really matter? And so I thought maybe we we go back, we backpedal a little bit here and we go back to sort of like the beginning why does this even matter um because if you if you start at the starting point like you know a runner does when they start running you know a race or a marathon or you know even when you're in PE class you know you had a starting point and you had a finish point you know so today we're going to start at the start starting line so um runners at, at your mark you know set go and um, but more seriously, we are going to start at the starting line and go from there, because this this is one of as as we've said before, this is one of like the, the topics that it seems like, you know, outside of people that are really, you know, been involved in this movement. It seems like there's a lot of people that aren't talking about this, and I don't know if that's because they don't know or they can't see it or they won't see it. Or they they don't understand how serious this is, um, and so uh, we're going to start today talking uh, about the the sufficiency of Scripture and the sufficiency of Christ in the Scripture. But uh, you know the the main idea 
you know, like we've been talking about with this deliverance thing is these ministries, they talk about a lot of things that seem to be good. You know, um, they take a principle like, for example, we'll, we'll talk about here a little bit, but legal rights that that could seem good. I mean, after all, Jesus says, you know, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. So the principle sounds good. But then they say that person has opened the door to Satan having legal rights over them. And what people don't understand is when they say legal rights, they're not talking about our fellowship being hindered. They're they're talking or our security in Christ being removed. They're talking about something else. They're, that's their way of saying that we as Christians can be demon possessed. And that's as we'll talk about more, that's a that's an impossibility. We've been sealed by the Spirit, Paul says in Ephesians one. Uh, we've been indwelt by the Spirit. Uh, there's no possibility if you're signed and sealed in the Spirit and united to Christ by faith in His name that there's a literal impossibility that the Holy Spirit and demons can reside in the same place. Not to mention, you know, it's it's just a contradiction. In, in terms, it doesn't make sense. Um, light can't exist where darkness is. And so, and the Bible's clear about that too. Uh, all you have to do is read First John. But um, yeah, any any thoughts on that, Don, as we get started? Yeah, I, one of the things when you touched on, Dave, about um, when you hear deliverance ministers, they'll, they'll make the statement of saying, well, we don't believe that Christians can be demon-possessed. Um, but the the argument that I give to them, I would give to them, and I, the pushback I've given in the past is, well, your videos that you post look like someone that's demon-possessed. Um, and the whole foundation of deliverance ministry, the modern deliverance ministry, is that born-again Christians need demons indwelling demons cast out of them, that the modern deliverance ministry is made for Christians. And um, the examples that they give, that they provide, they look like the people in the gospel, in Jesus's earthly ministry, that were not filled with the Holy Spirit. Right. So they were not born again believers. And they were indwelt with demons. Um, and there's articles I've read. I mean, there's one here uh, that's really good. It's by Robert Dean Jr. It's about demon possession and the Christian. And he talks about um, the arguments that they give and he re refutes them with scripture. And even in the meaning of demon possession, they will take that word and they will say, well, it doesn't mean demon possessed. They'll dilute it down and they'll basically say, well, it just means demonized um, or that you have a demon. Right. And um, that does not agree, in my understanding, anyway, when I've looked at this in, in Greek lexicons and, and done some reading in, in papers and, and articles, it does, not, it does not agree with what biblical scholars say. Um, so there is that dilution of that word down, and then it's a whole game of semantics um, that they play with it. Um, uh, of doing that. And it's not to say, too, I, I've had some people say, well, you don't believe in deliverance. No, I actually do believe in deliverance because salvation is deliverance. Um, I mean, we've been delivered from the domain of darkness, according to Colossians 1, 13. And we've been transferred into the kingdom, uh, God's kingdom, because of Christ and redemption through the forgiveness of sin. So I do believe in deliverance. What I don't believe is that yeah. born-again Christians need demons cast out of them. I think that that diminishes the power of the gospel and it diminishes the sufficiency of Christ. Yeah, absolutely. You know, even as uh, I have a lot of friends who have been in ministry a long time, 
I've been talking with the majority of them about this. And, you know, as, as I've been processing this since doing the Derek Prince episode, which I got so much pushback on with Doreen and I know Doreen did too. And we, we, we talked a lot about that, but when, as I started, it took probably three or four months. I don't think people understand that maybe, maybe longer. I can't exactly remember, but it took quite a bit of time. It took even uh, setting a different date multiple times. I remember for me to feel comfortable to talk about that. And even, even when I did Dawn, I felt, uncomfortable because I started looking on the internet and I started realizing there's nobody else really that's talked about this. And I'm like, am am I, have I lost my mind? But so, so then, then I was like, there's gotta be some, then I started reading, you know, not just the transcripts, but some books. Um, And then I started realizing, okay, this is starting to make a bit more sense about what's happening. And so somebody like, you know, me growing up in the church and, you know, preaching since I was 16 and, you know, reading thousands of books, it was hard for me to to spot that. So I, I am sympathetic to, you know, the person that is on in the pew and they're like, I don't know what you're even talking about. Um, and it's not just the average person in the pew, even it's, it's even people that are theologically trained and very theologically astute. That are like, wait, this okay, so this sounds good um on one level. Um, but then on another level, it's it's really all bad. It's taking a principle that sounds good, like, you know, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven, like Jesus says in Matthew at the end uh of Matthew six, the Lord's Prayer. And then it takes that principle that and it interprets it in a way that gives Satan um, legal rights, legal permission to come in and, you know, obviously indwell a, a, a Christian and dwelt by the spirit. Um, right. And so now, like I said, this is where it gets a little messy for a lot of Christians because they just heard me say a whole bunch of things. And so I'll just, I'll just say this when we're talking about what, what at we, what you should hear Instead of having somebody having legal rights, what you should hear is when your pastor's preaching on that passage, you should hear that your fellowship with God could be hindered or interrupted or however you want to say that. There's a lot of different ways that pastors talk about that or people that preach. And that's true because 1 John 1 talks about this, about, you know, if, if we say we have no sin the truth, the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, First John one nine, um, you know, the blood of Jesus will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. Now, that's that's totally different than what guys like Greg Locke and the Demon Slayers and Derek Prince and all these guys are talking about. Instead, what they're saying is not just that your fellowship can be hindered, but that you've given them permission for demons to come in. And I think not only does that that not only does that not that interpretation not warranted from Matthew six in the Lord's Prayer, but it's not warranted. It causes a number of problems theologically. Because at the moment of conversion, we are united to Christ by faith. We're indwelt by the Spirit. You know, we're justified. We're adopted. We're um, we're forgiven. Yeah. Um, and so 
to suggest that a Christian united to Christ, you know, we are his and he is ours, um, that they could be indwelt by a demon and that somehow we've given them permission. That's the total op- that not only that not only undermines the ministry of the spirit, it it actually denies the role of sanctification in the life of the Christian. And ultimately, it suggests that our salvation, like many Armenians think that teach um, that our security in Christ is conditional. But in scripture, it's never conditional. And I'm and I'm not picking on Armenians when I say that because that that is their view. They believe in what's called conditional security. And that's nowhere in the Bible. Um Romans 8, 31 through 39 refutes that, as do, you know, um, I'll just say, since I'm a confessional Christian, um, you know, the Westminster Confession, the Belgic Confession, the 1689, and uh the, the Puritans and the Reformers, they all soundly refute that idea. And so that's 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 a hill I stand on. Here I am, as Luther said, I can do no other. But um, that's kind of where we go with with that. That's kind of where I think a lot of people that hear this just coming from the angle, you know, you're you're the opposite. You're you're like you came out of this. I'm mm-hmm. I'm like coming into this more <laughs> and you know, it's like, wait a minute, this, this is like, this is totally opposite. And so people that are coming into this, we, you're, you're, you're bringing the, you know, the side where you're like, you know, my, my wife would be uh, like, somebody is like an IT expert. You're like a, you're like an expert and I'm coming in as the outsider, you know, but with the theology and being like, Hey, this, this is really uh, it, it's it's nuanced, but it's also uh, at the end of the day, what they do is they make this a steps to salvation issue. And when you have a step to salvation, and the last step is you're saved. Um, that's a false gospel. Yeah. Any anyone? But then, but, you wanna... but then they'll say that it's not a salvation issue. Well, the the deliverance ministry is not a salvation issue, and I I just I disagree with that. I disagree with with that statement because again I go back to if if I have to worry about demons indwelling me as a born again believer then why why do I need salvation why why do I need Christ is why do I need the holy spirit is he not is is he not sufficient enough to to keep me from the evil one um is he I mean and then over and over reading in scripture it, I continue to find passages that the the battle that we engage in spiritual warfare as believers is always from without as far as the devil's concerned it's not from within um it, it seems as if that they're putting two kingdoms within a born again believer and that breed, that breeds confusion i don't see how you can still be under the tyranny of satan as a believer and be a citizen of heaven i just don't i don't it makes no sense to me. And of course, when I was in this movement, I believed that born again believers could. Have, I mean, we had people that would come for deliverance. We had people that and continue repetitive. The same people would come and those people didn't get free. Mm. And they may have felt better in the moment, but they still battled. And so that that to me tells me that uh, one of the things, well, two of the things that's sufficient you touched on is that the gospel is deficient in this in this movement. And sanctification, the teaching of sanctification is is absent. People are not understanding. Um, I was just listening to a, an interview the other, uh, just uh, past couple of days. The discussion was basically that, you know, I just don't believe I'm a sinner anymore. That 
you know, I don't, I don't have those that, you know, that's, I'm not, I kept saying I was a sinner, but now I realize that I needed deliverance ministry and I'm not a sinner anymore. And I'm thinking, well, you still sin. (laughs) You you haven't been delivered from this earth. You've not been glorified yet. So you're going to battle with those things. And the good news is you're not doing it alone. You have the Holy Spirit who helps you. He sanctifies you. He conforms you to the image of Christ. But the the whole focus of deliverance ministry, um, I think that they are grossly missing sanctification in this and people are not understanding that they are going to struggle with things in this world, but we have hope um, because of Christ. Um, we we can rejoice in that even in the midst of trials and sufferings um, and difficulty and hardship that we have a hope that the world doesn't have. Yeah. And that's, that's comforting it is comforting. Yeah. As you're, as you're, as you're talking, I'm thinking to the person that, you know, again, you're talking from that side. So I'm going to talk from this side. You're the person that's been been a Christian like most of their life and they're listening to this. So for that person, I'm going to say this. So from the angle of a conservative Bible-believing Christian, you know, you're, you're justified. You're brought in from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, as Paul says in Colossians 1. And, and then this is a, all, all these things happen in, in an instantaneous moment. You know, you're justified, you're, you're adopted, um, you're, you know, you're brought into the family of God, you're indwelt by the spirit, um, and, and all you're sealed in the spirit, um, you, you become his, he becomes yours. And there's so many things in that happen in a moment in time when, when you're brought into the kingdom of God. And, but what we're talking about when we talk about sanctification, we're talking about not just, you know, that you've been brought into the kingdom, that you've walked through the door, you know, that 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 Jesus has opened your eyes and now you're you're saved. We're talking about after that now. We're talking about the struggle that every single Christian has. This is where we go to Romans six and Colossians or six through eight, and we go to Colossians three, and we even go to Galatians five, which we're going to talk about Galatians five here in a little bit. But Romans six is all about you know mortification, putting sin to death. Romans seven is all about indwelling sin that you that every single Christian is battling as as John says against the world of flesh and the devil. And I think it's First uh, John, yeah, First John two. Um, and the the reality is is as as Paul talks about in Romans eight, sometimes sometime slow down a little bit in Romans eight and notice all the times and all the mentions of the Spirit is helping um, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our trials, and just just notice all the mentions of the Spirit and the Spirit's work there. It's pretty interesting, um, you know, uh, all the work of the Spirit and and what He's doing. And how it's described in Romans eight, but the spirit, the spirit is helping us to help, helping us to become more like Christ. And so, what they, what we're we're saying is, is that these people not only minimize that, not only the the conversion aspect of it and adoption and justification, but they minimize the putting to death of sin the the nature of indwelling sin um the life and growth in the spirit um and and so much more and so when i say that they minimize the biblical view of sanctification you know we're, we're gonna we're gonna see that unravel here as uh don plays some clips All right so uh 
I know you just mentioned we're going to be doing some clips. So the first clip is uh, from an individual named Mike Signorelli. Now, for those that are not familiar with Mike Signorelli, he is actually, um, he's a lead pastor. This is off of his website and off of his social media. Um, He's the lead pastor and founder of V1 Church in New York City. Um, He is also one of the demon slayers. And I put that in quotation marks because we don't call them demon slayers, by the way. They call themselves demon slayers. Um, he says on his social media that he uh, that his mission is to help people become what they were created for, whether a leader, entrepreneur, or even just a dreamer. He believes that people can go from chaos to clarity through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'll never forget the first time that I ever cast demons out. I was casting them out of myself. I was violently throwing up in my bathtub as I was locked in the bathroom. And I kept thinking to myself, I can't believe how real deliverance is. It's been over 20 years, and that was still one of the most powerful moments I've ever had in my life. I believe that you're watching this video right now because you need freedom. Sometimes we see other people receiving deliverance and we think, I long to experience that in my life. Demons enter our lives because they have legal rights. So in this video, I'm going to go through all of the legal rights that give demons access. And then I'm going to take you through a guided process of self-deliverance. I, when, when I watch that, I think... I'm I'm literally hearing somebody basically verbalize what Derek Prince ha- has said and you know all of the other guys who follow in the wake of Derek Prince and they all suggest as we talked about that that a Christian gives up in a sense legal rights is them giving up their rights to but they're giving up their rights and giving Satan permission then to send his demons into the life of a Christian um, as if that could ever be uh, the apostle Paul would be like, um, sir, uh, I, I, I'd like to have a word here, you know, uh, you know, uh, I, I kind of have a word. And I think what he would say is I, there's this little thing in Romans eight thirty one through 39, where if you read it five times, he, he talks about our security in Christ and it's not, because of ourselves it's always because of christ it's it's because of christ it's because of christ it's because of christ and you know we're held uh i once heard this this uh well-known pastor say at a conference and it was remarkable he said you know we're held secured down to the nanosecond you know i mean what more but you know we're held secure down to the nanosecond by christ and what what more do we need if we're held secure down to the nanosecond by a god who is all powerful and all knowing and who upholds the universe by the word of his power i mean what more do we what more do we need i mean so yeah i think paul would have would would raise a hand and say i've got a i've got the apostle paul would have something to say to that um i think that you know jesus would have um something to say about that um, because he, he talked about how a house divided against itself cannot stand. Um, right. and so, so, you know, and he called us to pick up the cross and well, he called his disciples to pick up the cross and follow him. And he called every single Christian, this is in Luke nine, uh, 23 through 27, he called them to pick up their cross and follow him. And then 
in Luke 9 51, he, he sets his face to Jerusalem and he's going to focus like he does in John 13 through 17 on teaching primarily his disciples. And so I think, um, I think Jesus would have a, a little bit of a, of an issue with that. And he, and he does. So, you know, it's, it's not only scripturally, but just like I said earlier, it's the, the amount of theological problems that this particular subject topic, if you will, causes, um, are so, so many, and they're, they're all, I think everybody know, anybody who knows me knows what I'm about to say. They know how careful I am to use this, to say this. Um, it's damning. It's, it means, if you believe and you teach this kind of doctrine, I, I would have a hard time scripturally calling you a Christian because, I mean, to be to be a Christian means at minimum that you believe the gospel. You believe the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. If, if somebody comes to me and they tell me their story, I'm just looking for basically two things. I'm looking for them to tell me that Jesus died and Jesus rose. I'm not looking for, you know, a, 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 an explanation of justification or conversion or any of that. I'm just looking. That, can they tell me that Jesus died and Jesus rose on the third day at, at minimum? You know, of course, we need to talk more about the gospel and all of that thing. But like these guys just I use that as an example because these guys don't even teach. I would argue that. I think that other issue, too. I mean, so many issues with I cringe every time I see some of these clips. But the the even the notion that you can deliver yourself, that's highly problematic. I mean, you're putting yourself in the position of being your own savior, essentially, and you're not your own savior. And again, they'll argue from this. Well, we don't believe that. Well, then don't call it self-deliverance then, because you're you're making yourself the savior in by calling it self-deliverance. That's the that would be what you're implying. The fact that that they continue to harp on, will you give the devil legal rights, which they're really ascribing like sovereignty to Satan, really, um, that he has so much control. And because you're giving him control, and really it reflects a poor understanding of the sovereignty of God, because if you believe that you have the ability to to give God permission, then you're going to believe that you have the, the ability to give the devil permission. So you have a very high view of yourself. And then furthermore, for you to think that you can give legal rights to the devil when 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that we were bought at a price. We don't even belong to ourselves. Like true believers do not belong. We don't belong to ourselves. We've been bought at a price, it says, and we are to glorify God in our bodies. We belong to God. So, I, I mean, there's just so many, there's so many, that, but that's just the, the few that come to mind when I hear things like this. And then, and then another, it's an appeal to experience, Dave. I mean, I don't know how many times I hear these people and they're, they appeal to their personal experience. And then in doing that, it becomes the foundation upon which the truth rests for them. Hmm. So because it's real and it happened to them, like you hear with Signorelli, this is how I knew deliverance was real. He was casting demons out of himself. He's throwing up in his back in his bathroom. And I'm thinking, where is this in scripture? Like we don't see people, we don't see believers doing this. The epistles are silent. The apostles did not teach this to the early church. They didn't tell Christians how to deliver themselves from demons and to do mass deliverances and to cast demons out of believers. They told them, do not gratify the desires of the flesh. You need to put on Christ. You need to put off the old self, put on the new. You, these are the marks of a, of a Christian. These are the ways you're to walk in. It's 
oh, it's just, it's awful, awful, awful teaching. And when the blinders come off after you've seen this stuff and you've believed it for so long, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult. And it's also uh, like a sigh of relief at the same time, but it's, this teaching is so problematic. It's, it's frustrating. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine, you know, that, but, you know, you mentioned uh, just to clearly define it for everybody, you know, in Second Peter uh, one three, you know, Peter talks about how you know for life and godliness, and this is where you know we get the understanding of the sufficiency of Scripture from. You know that Scripture is sufficient for our life and for our godliness. That is from everything, from you know all for all of life, from beginning to end, everywhere in between. Scripture has something to say to us. And but what we often forget about the sufficiency of Scripture is it's not only just for our faith and for our conduct, but that that is supposed to impact how we live. (laughs) It's not supposed to just be a proposition for our lives. It's supposed to impact our our, and lead to uh, something. Um, It's supposed to lead to our behavior and our conduct and um, our, our morals and our ethics and our decision making and everything is to be changed in light of the scripture that that's what um, the sufficiency of scripture is all about. And that's why this teaching undermines the sufficiency of scripture. Um, and also one other important thing that we see in the book of Hebrews, it really Hebrews really illustrates this well. Because what we see in Hebrews is Christ is greater than everything in the Old Testament, you know, greater right. than the temples, greater than the sacrifices, everything. And so, you know, Christ is Christ is presented as superior to all those things. And and this is so we can say that the sufficiency of Scripture leads to the sufficiency of Christ. Um, not only that, but I mean, you look at uh, Jesus' own words in John five thirty nine. Um, these the, the, these words speaking about the Old Testament testify of me. Uh, Jesus talked about it as well in Luke 24, 27, that, you know, he interpreted scripture um, to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And so this, this really matters because if you don't believe, you could believe these guys could believe these things about the Bible, but, and, and I'll say it that way as charitably as possible, but then I'm going to come back and say, they don't practice it. Right. So whether they whether they believe it or not, I mean, that's questionable. Okay. Big, big question mark. But then in practice, they don't they don't put it into practice. And and this is the actually this right here is one of the biggest issues, not just with deliverance ministry. It's an it's an issue in general. Um, you know, with the new apostolic reformation with social justice and uh, a whole host of other things where you have people who say, I believe this. But then you look, oh, are you practicing it? No. Okay, so then then the question is, do you really believe it? If, you, if you're not going to practice it, do you believe it? Because uh, Paul told um, Timothy to watch his life and his doctrine. He never separated life from doctrine. He, he, he joined them together. One will impact the other. Uh, one is going to fuel the other. We often instead talk about, uh, here's five steps for this and that, and this is going to do this, and this is going to do that. And then you look at problems like this with the deliverance ministry and you really see it this okay here's something to do but 
the doing is not in the Bible. So the next example that I have um, is from Isaiah Saldivar. And Isaiah Saldivar uh, is uh, uh, works in conjunction with Mike Signorelli quite often. He has stated on his website and on some of his other social medias that he uh, was an atheist turned revivalist. Uh, he professes to be a demon slayer. He's the one that actually has the Demon Slayer podcast um, online. He uh, performs deliverance ministry routinely. He travels to minister, but past few years, I think he's focused mainly on his social media presence. And just so people will be aware of the influence and impact of his social media in, uh, presence, he has a, um, a YouTube channel that boasts of 750,000 subscribers. And uh, also the clip, too, that we're going to be looking at, uh, I took from uh, Sean Christie's YouTube channel called Revealing Truth. So I appreciate the work that he does. But he compiled some clips together to show this. So you'll hear some commentary from him on this clip that we're sharing right now. And the reason why I say that is, is if a Christian can't have a demon, all we need to do is get the person saved and automatically all the demons will leave, making deliverance unnecessary. Folks, we're not even 90 seconds into this video and it's an absolute train wreck already. Isaiah says that if a Christian can't have a demon, then all we have to do is get them saved and the demons would all leave, making deliverance unnecessary. If a person had demons and then got saved, then yes, the demons would no longer be there because scripture tells us that we're a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. But these demon slayers don't believe that. And you, Isaiah, don't even believe what you're saying because you believe after a person is saved, they can still have demons that need to be cast out over and over again. So how could demons leaving when someone gets saved make deliverance unnecessary in your business? How often would you recommend to go in for a session? I would recommend every few months. Folks, please realize that Isaiah is speaking total nonsense. But the truth is in Acts chapter eight, Philip preached to them, he did miracles and he cast out demons. And it's like, Philip, why don't you just preach to them? Why are you even casting out demons? Just get them saved. Why not just get them saved, you say? Well, how about because if someone is possessed by a demon and not in their right mind, foaming at the mouth and being thrown into the fire, that person can't listen to preaching to be saved. They need to be delivered first, Isaiah. He's using flawed rationale to keep people believing his lies about his phony ministry. Yeah, with Isaiah, um, I've watched quite a bit of his content um, and submitted rebuttals. <laughs> numerous occasions and what was not in this clip and i've seen this clip of him talking about this and i've seen the video was he prior to him saying every few months when this when this other guy said well how often would you go in for deliverance maintenance and he said well i i get my car's oil changed like every two to three thousand miles so you know i think that you should do the same for you he was like it's just it just depends on how how much you want to be free but but the irony is is that if you have to get deliverance maintenance done you're never free you're never free like there is no there is no freedom there is no guarantee of freedom. This is all conditional. This is all based on what you do. So then it becomes works-based salvation of you, you doing this, you going and trusting some other fallible person in front of you to deliver you by the power of God, by, by alleging it's the power of God. 
And then telling people, well, you just need to have deliverance maintenance done every few months. You got to get the critters out. That's what he calls them. You got to make sure there aren't any critters on board. No critters. Like this, I I'm, I really, <laughs> I really have to work on not, again, not getting frustrated because it's really, it's it's frustrating and it's sad at the same time. There are so many people. And the reason why I shared the, the, the level of his YouTube channel, he is very influential. I mean, he reaches five to six million people a month at times. And he he tells about that on his uh, on his um, websites and stuff. So he reaches millions of people with his content. That's substantial of how many people are being deceived by what he's teaching. He's not giving them freedom. He's giving them false doctrine. And I and I say that with loving kindness and compassion that out of genuine concern for people, this is deception. This is absolute false teaching. And then I was trying to, and then he refers to Acts 8. That was another thing I wanted to say. He, and I've heard him refer to Acts 8 quite a few times, and he's not the only deliverance minister that does that. But they will appeal to Acts 8 with, with Philip going to Samaria. And they will use those few verses to say, oh, well, there were people that were coming and they were Christians. They were the ones getting demons cast out. Well, it doesn't say that. They're reading into the text and they're basically assuming that, those were Christians that were getting demons cast out of, but it doesn't say that in the passage. So yeah, it, it's it's really sad, really sad that that people and and many people are flocking to this teaching. That's that's the even scarier and sad part about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They take the idea in Acts eight six, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice uh, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was much joy um, in that city, it says. And so they take that idea that Philip, you know, did those things. And then, like we've talked about before, they normalize that. They say, oh, that's what we're to do today. Right. And it's like, wait, where did you even see that that was normalized in the book of Acts? That's the question you should ask. Not that that's the mantra that you should have today um, as if as if that's the point of what Luke is telling uh, this orderly account and in, in starting in, you know, Luke one and going into acts as well. So the, the yeah. real question is then as a matter of interpretation that you should ask is, okay, so is that particular passage? Is that, is that the pattern then if you're going to base your ministry on it, where else do you see that? And then in those places, is that, is that what the church is supposed to do all the time for all time? And I would, my answer to that would be no, that it's not normal. You know, can, can it happen? You know, perhaps, but is that God's normative means of working? I don't think that we see that in, in anywhere in the Bible. Um, so then you're going to take a text like this and reinterpret it uh, to suit your ministry. That's, that's kind of the, that's kind of the problem with the principal idea. The principle of it may sound nice and appealing to people, but then that's what they're you. You have to understand then that that's what they're using as a justification to engage in it. So it sounds good, but then ask the question: This is what they're using to base their ministry. I don't know. Is that helpful? It is, and I think one thing for people to understand uh, when they hear 
modern deliverance ministers talk, you always have to remember what they what they mean by deliverance. They're not talking to unbelievers. They're they're saying that deliverance ministry is reserved for born again Christians, people who are already saved and they need indwelling demons cast out of them. And my and my question for them would be then I want you to show me in scripture of an example of a born again spirit-filled believer having demons cast out of them. I'll wait for a verse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, my my question would be where do you see that since you like to appeal to the book of Acts? Where do you see that in the mm-hmm. book of Acts? Right. Um where do you where do you see the spirit doing that kind of thing more than what might be one or two instances in Acts right. okay, at most? So if there's one or two, we'll grant two examples in the Acts, you know, one in the passage that we saw, and then one with, you know, Paul later in, yeah. in like Acts, I think it's 18. So, you know, where, where, other than that, how are you going to justify two examples as the basis then for the need for somebody to go and get continued deliverance, like we just heard from Isaiah Salvador, like, they need to go to the doctor to get a checkup. So they need to go to Dr. Salvador or Dr. Locke and on and on and on to get, get their, you know, deliverance checkup so that, you know, they're good. Well, like we talked about at the beginning, that just undermines um, the role of sanctification. In fact, it, 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 no, I'll just, let me start over there. It doesn't eliminate the role of sanctification. It obliterates I'll say it that way, the role of sanctification. Yeah. Remember what we remember what we talked about just a second ago. We talked about conversion. God takes us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He justifies us. He adopts us. He calls us his friends. We talked about the role of sanctification. So we talked about putting sin to death. We talked about indwelling sin. We talked about, you know, the role of the Holy Spirit as we see in Romans six through eight. And that was a seriously a sixty thousand foot maybe a hundred thousand foot or 200,000 foot view of that, of Romans six through eight. It's like super condensed, but the point is still even there. So you obliterate sanctification, but then what you do is what they're really advocating is, is basically for that deliverance person to be like a priest. So they have to go to the priest, like in a confessional booth and get their continual checkup. Exactly. Uh, And it makes that, that deliverance person than their mediator, which undermines right. the role of Jesus as our mediator, which Paul talks about in First yep. uh, Timothy one, and uh, it undermines then the help that that the Lord provides through His high priestly ministry, where Jesus in Hebrews four fifteen says He's a very present help in what in time of need. So I mean, and and. The the thing is, is most people were like, be like, hmm, again, this sounds good. I, I do need to maybe meet with somebody. Okay. I do need to meet help. We're, I'm not against somebody meeting and talking with somebody. Everybody needs somebody to go and, and, and talk with. Life is hard. You know, suffering is real. Um, and so those kind of things are, are good, but taking that and, 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 you know, using that idea to then suggest that somebody needs to go and get deliverance that is in we'll say another area entirely you have somebody going and talking to somebody is good but then you go beyond that to say that somebody needs 
actively needs as a Christian deliverance from those things like you're saying, and that's a whole nother ball of wax. That's where you venture into being the person's Holy Spirit, where you venture yep. into being the person's mediator before God and man, which no one, no one, not even not even your pastor can be your mediator. They they can point you to the mediator and they should, they must point you to that, to the mediator, to the to the chief shepherd. And any good pastor will do that from the board. Um, but you know, what they're doing is is totally there's there's no scriptural basis. The, the problems are so many uh, from the doctrine of salvation to the to the doctrine of sanctification to spiritual warfare to and 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 here's the other thing that shock will shock most people. There's so people think there's so much in the Bible about demons and Satan and angels, and it's like you know there's only like a really a few places in the Bible, like in Isaiah and Daniel and Revelation, and uh, off the top of my head, there's there's really not that many passages that actually talk about all three of those subjects as a whole. And so you know the fact that they're talking about that in excess. That says everything about them because the Bible doesn't say a lot uh, as it is anyway, and and so that that fact that they would want to base their ministry on something that where the Bible um, is is it's not silent. I won't say that, but it, it it doesn't it doesn't have a lot to say. If you don't believe me, go look at any systematic theology and these types of sections on angels and Satan and demons and and. Those kind of things—they're they're very small, you know, for for a reason because there's not much in in the Bible about as much, I should say, as they're making it seem. Yep, yep. All right. Well, the third clip that we have uh, is from Jennifer Leclaire. So I actually um, I had uh, personal interactions with Jennifer while I was in this movement because Ryan was affiliated with her. Um, she was always very nice to me, but at any rate, aside from just her being nice and cordial, um, Jennifer LeClaire is an internationally recognized author. This is off of her website. Uh, apostolic prophetic voice to her generation and conference speaker. She carries a reforming voice that inspires and challenges believers to pursue intimacy with God, cultivate their spiritual gifts, and walk in the fullness of what God has called them to do. Uh, she states that she contends for awakening in the nations through intercession and spiritual warfare, strong apostolic preaching, practical prophetic teaching. Uh, she's the senior leader at Awakening House of Prayer in Florida. She's the founder of the Ignite Network, founder of the Awakening Prayer Hubs. Uh, she formerly served as the first female editor of Charisma Magazine, um, and she claims to have written over 50 books. She is also affiliated with the uh, Apostolic Council of Prophetic Elders, Bill Hammond's Christian International Network, uh, the United States Coalition of Apostolic Leaders, the International Society of Deliverance Ministers, and Shayon's Harvest International Ministries. So let's hear what Jennifer had to say. We are causing more problems with our own mouth. See, here's the thing. We blame everything on the enemy. Oh, the devil. Oh, the devil. Oh, the devil. And it's like, how about saying, oh, my mouth. Oh, my mouth. Oh, my mouth. Because it's the enemy that's using your words against you right it's your words many times that are giving him the legal right to do what he does uh you know what's when when she talks about you know what comes out of your mouth i i thought when i originally watched this of you know jesus saying in luke 6 45 out of the out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks you know mm -hmm. and out comes jesus would say in matthew um he would in matthew's gospel he talks about all the things that you know 
that come out of the heart, you know, sexual perversion and all of that. And so when, when she was talking about that, that's, that's kind of what I was thinking, but, but then she went to illegal rights and I'm like, wait a second, what are you even talking about? Like Jesus, Jesus isn't saying when he says, you know, out of the abundance of the, the heart, the mouth speaks, then, then that gives legal rights to, to demons. Like what in the world are you even, what, what is that? What is that even? I don't, I don't even I don't even know what you mean. What are you even talking about? Like, like, have you, have you even read the Bible at this point? Like, and it, and it is, and it is like, like we just saw that's 20 seconds. I'm sure of a much larger talk, but like mm-hmm. she put that out. That's on her YouTube. She put that out as, as something that, you know, a YouTube short to yeah. show something. I don't know what exactly what she was trying to say, but like, uh, you know, that's, that, that's what she did, you know? So we're not picking on her and pointing that out. She put that out on as a YouTube short. So she chose the length of that, uh, and chose to promote it. Yeah. It's interesting because what she's saying is word of faith. I mean, and instantly, as soon as she started talking about is the power of your words. So now we've gone from the power of your words, creating your destiny and forming, forming worlds. I think Chris Valentin likes to say that, that your words form worlds, um, that now we're giving power to the enemy. We're giving him legal rights through our words. And that's very much a word of faith teaching that I think was it is it Proverbs 18, death and life from the power of the tongue. Um, that's a very common passage that word of faith like uh, likes to go to in order to say you need to watch the power of your words. So it, it to me, when I hear it, it sounds like a spin on word of faith teaching and watching the, the power of your words and what they do because you, they're containers. And so you can either have death or life. Well, now you're inviting and giving legal right. Once again, rights that you don't have if you're a true born again believer <laughs> over, over to the devil. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's you're, you're you got the right chapter. It's uh, Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the yeah. power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Yeah. So, yeah, but you're, you're right. You know, it's, it again, it sounds not, well, this, this doesn't even sound good. So I won't even, <laughs> I won't even, I won't even, I won't even say that, but like, I, I, I can't imagine like when I was like, I'm not sure if I should laugh at that or like, what should be, you know, my, my reaction to that. I just. You know, if I'm if I'm listening to that, you know, just just as a average Christian or whatever, you know, coming at it, uh, I'm like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. A, what what do you mean? Uh, B, like, then you talk about legal rights, and then, but you promoted this as a YouTube short, so clearly this is a representation, uh, an important representation to Jennifer of you know her view, and you were you said she's an editor. Um, you know, so that that says, you know, she knew what she was doing um, and she chose that as, as as something to, you know, feature uh, for her uh, for her teaching. But I don't know why you would I don't know why you would do that. Like, why? Um, yeah, I don't either. So, well, uh, we should probably move on to our last example. Uh, the next the last example that we have for today is Daniel Adams. So Daniel Adams uh, and is another demon slayer. We have a little bit of a theme today, but they're they're in abundance. Uh, Daniel Adams um, is an ex cage fighter. 
Um, on his social media, on Instagram, he lists himself as an apostle to the nations, founder of the Supernatural Life Movement, claiming more than one million lives changed for Christ. And he has been affiliated with the Demon Slayers, as I said. So let's see uh, what Daniel Adams says. Hey, stop scrolling. I have some good information for you, but I'm going to give you about three seconds to make sure you hang around. Okay, you're still hanging in there? Listen to this. Here's three signs that you might have a demon. Number one, you have uncontrollable urges that lead you into sin. Galatians 5, 19 to 21 makes it pretty clear what the works of the flesh are. If you're dealing with any of this, this is a sign you could have a demon. Number two, you're having intrusive thoughts, thoughts that you can't stop from coming and you know that they're not coming from you. This is a sign that you could have a demon. Number three, you have a dark countenance or a heavy look to you. This is another sign you could have a demon. Look in the description for help and follow for more. So, um, you know, I I listened to that and that that right there, that's where I got a little fired up because, you know, when that whole he mentions Galatians five. And so so again, he's he's right about the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit. Everybody knows that. But then he takes notice. He took the principle of that. And then he said, if if you have some of those things in your life, then you have a demon. It's like, wait a minute. Um, so, uh, Paul says in, uh, Galatians 5 21, after he's finished talking about all those things of the flesh, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will wait for it, not inherit the kingdom of God. Hmm. Um, and then in verse 24 of chapter five of Galatians, he says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, remember what we talked about. We talked about, you know, conversion. So what Paul is talking about here in, in this chapter, he's talking about the the role of the spirit in the life of the Christian as they put their sin to death um, because they're united to Christ by faith. And and what, what Daniel just said is that this passage has, he, he gives it the opposite meaning. Hmm. So that Paul, he's saying that, Paul is suggesting that Christians can be demon possessed. Really? Um, where's that in that in that passage, Daniel? Um, I'm just I'm just curious, like, because because I'm I'm reading this right now as I'm talking, and um, we're we're talking about Paul's talking about the opposite of this. He's talking about the Christian has been united to Christ by faith in His name, um, and and how the Spirit is at work in the life of the Christian to you know help them. Uh, to, to grow, you know, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, and self-control. And uh, by the way, what a lot of people forget is at the end of verse 23 of that, of that list of the fruits of the spirit, he says, against such thing, there is no law, meaning that you can't, you, th these are things that the spirit is doing in your life. There's no law. That means you can have as much of this as you want, because this is what the spirit is trying to do in the life of the Christian. Yeah, that's the total opposite of of everything that you know we've talked about already. It it totally undermines, it, it obliterates the doctrine of salvation. It obliterates the doctrine of you know sanctification. Um, you know, it, it eliminates. I would say the need for like Ephesians six. Um, you know, the role of spiritual warfare. I mean, there's so uh, why did why did you take up the armor of God? Why would you put your sin to death? Um, oh, here's another thing. Why would you ever want to work through any sort of issues with anybody? 
um, if you could just blame it on a demon. I mean, you know, so so there goes personal responsibility out the door. Um, there goes any accountability. Uh, there goes church membership. There goes church discipline. There goes any kind of like you have an issue with somebody. Why would you ever want to, you know, work through any kind of issues in your own marriage? So you just, you know, uh, harm people's marriages. You harm relationships in the church. Oh, just just blame a demon. And and of course, that's not what the Bible says. Um, and that's not what you know Paul is saying. But that's that's where you have to go when you when you hear something like this. Um, you know that that's what he's suggesting. He's destroying the need for accountability, the need to reconcile, the need to repent, the need to grow, the need to have the tough conversations with somebody. Um, and it, it causes not only I'll say problems biblically and theologically, but it causes problems, you know, for the pastor, for the counselor. It causes problems for the average Christian who wants to work through issues. Uh, just blame a demon. I mean, you you have to pay attention. Theology always has, as R.C. Sproul said, it always has consequences. Ideas have consequences. And this is the consequence of what these guys are saying. And it's it's devastating. But we have to understand that these ideas have consequences. This is why this is why I'm committed to speaking out against it because I see those consequences and I don't like those consequences um, because they're going to damn it. They're going to just absolutely obliterate and destroy the purity of the gospel and they're going to destroy the unity um, of, of the spirit in our local churches. And it's going to that's going to impact and hinder our uh, witness as a church. That, those are the stakes in this uh conversation that that we're having that that why we're why we started are starting to unravel this at a foundational level because once you understand the foundational issues i think you're going to be able to start to see here's the signs to look out for and and these are the reasons why you should not just like leave that church but just like leave the movement as a whole like they don't believe the gospel they don't preach the bible um they don't believe the bible and they don't practice the bible so, uh, the the thing where he equates basically like what you were saying to this teaching is pretty common in deliverance ministry is that anything that's listed as a sin, they'll equate to demons. But then they'll say, well, we don't think everything's a demon, but you will not. You will. I have yet to hear any teaching on sanctification out of this camp. I have not heard it because mm -hmm. they will say, well, not everything's a demon. But then you look at their videos and you look at what they cover and it's demonic. That there's a spirit for everything um, and, and how to break the mind controlling spirits and how to deal with uh, the spirit of fear and how to deal with these other types of spirits. And you need to clean your house and get rid of these objects because you're letting spirits in. And um, it, there's just different things that they will they will say to people that are professing believers. But you won't hear the gospel mentioned. You won't hear the gospel proclaimed and you won't hear teachings on sanctification. And then everything that's equated to a work of the flesh is said to be satanic. And the whole thing of personal accountability, uh, I mean, that's that's as old as the garden. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're just repeating what happened in the garden of, well, well, the woman you gave me did it. Well, the snake that that was in the garden made me eat it. Well, it's always never taking that moment of saying repent. And they will also too in their formulas. And I'm sure you've seen this day that they will say, well, you need to renounce and you need to confess and you need to repent. But it's all again, it's all working through this formula. It's never going down to the level of the heart 
for that person Mm -hmm. and saying, well, first of all, have you heard the gospel? Do you know what the gospel is? Do you know what the good news to your bad news is? Do you know what sanctification is? Have you been biblically discipled? Are you in a biblically sound church? I've heard one of these deliverance ministers, well, probably more than one actually, basically say, I will not attend a church that doesn't do deliverance because it's basically a demon daycare. That was their exact words. And I think you don't have an understanding of biblical uh, doctrine. Like you don't have any understanding of sanctification. I am not going to attend a gathering where they claim to cast demons out of Christians because I think that that is a doctrine of demons. I think that it leaves people in perpetual bondage. And I think that it it does not bring freedom. It is not teaching sound biblical teaching. It is not leading people back to Christ. It is not leading people back to the gospel. It is not leading people back to proper biblical discipleship. It is leading people back to these individuals is what it's doing. And it's not bringing freedom. What I, what I hear you saying and what I hear in these clips from my perspective here is you know, the old adage, there's a demon behind every, everything or something like that. Do, right. do you think that's, that's really kind of what's, what they're advocating, you know, from your your vantage point, you know, having come out of this movement and even being in it? You think that's a fair well, assessment? It's, it's funny because they'll say, well, we don't believe there's a demon behind every corner. But when you look at their teachings, it sure seems like there's a demon behind every corner. I mean, I I heard that for years. I taught that. I got to teach a demonology course um, a couple of times at our local church. I was asked to teach it. It was based on Lester Summerall's demonology book. I have it. I have the workbook and the things that I was taught for years. And we would always say that. Well, you know, we don't believe that everything's a demon. But where was the teaching, again, on sanctification, on proper biblical discipleship, on understanding what the gospel, what true deliverance is? It was missing. And when that's missing, like what you were saying, then the gospel's missing, the actual good news. And people, um, I I know in, in in this movement, too, and I think it's not just in this movement, but I think people are looking for quick fixes. They want solutions and they don't want to be accountable for their their poor decisions. Sin has consequence. We don't like that, but there's sins have consequences. There's times that God is gracious and merciful and we don't get the consequences that we actually deserve from our sin because of his grace and mercy. There are times that people have consequences from their sin, but people don't want to face that. So there's a passage in Philippians 2, uh, beginning in verse 12, it says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You could probably tell better than I could, Dave. It, It sounds like to me, it's not telling you that you that you secure your salvation, but we are, we um, are, we are, we work along with the Holy Spirit in our sanctification. So our justification before God, we have no part in that. I can't claim any of that. Ephesians 2 talks about it is by grace through faith that you've been saved, not of your own works, lest anyone should boast. So I can't boast in my salvation. I am working with the Holy Spirit in my sanctification. So when in Philippians, when we when we talk and hear about this and we read it, we're seeing that God is working in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so people don't want my, my point in bringing that up is that people don't want to be accountable for their sins. That's not it's not pleasant. And I understand that. 
But I think deliverance ministry creates an out. And there is a great focus on the demonic, even though they will give lip service and say, well, we believe in sin, but not everything's a demon. But then all the books you see that they write are about Jezebel, Leviathan, Absalom, Judas spirit, um, how to get rid of mind controlling spirits, squids, the sneaky squid spirit, marine spirits, all these spirits that you got to deal with. And then there's so many of these books out. I mean, who who has the right one? <laughs> That's the other, like, who do you listen to? Because they then they don't even agree on some of the things that they share. They're getting extra biblical revelation. Why is scripture not sufficient? I thought it was. I thought it was supposed to be sufficient. Well, because it is. So you have people that don't want to be accountable for their sin. And so what's an easy thing to do? Well, it's a demon or my great, great grandmother. She played with the Ouija board or my great, great grandfather was a Freemason or so-and-so had this. And so I must have a soul tie because of 15 ex-husbands or somebody that somebody has. And so I got to break all these soul ties and I got to break generational curses and I got to do this and I got to do that. And it's not focusing on the fact of you are a sinner in need of of Christ, you are accountable for your own life. And God tells his people, flee from these things, separate yourself, come out from among them. You are to to, crucify your flesh. You're not to gratify the desires of your flesh. You are new in Christ. You are to put on Christ. You are not to walk in the ways of the Gentiles. You are not, this is not how you learn Christ. I mean, Paul talks about that and tells them, you know, this is your old fleshly way. This is not how you learn Christ. This is the way you're supposed to walk. Nowhere in there did the apostles tell believers, hey, by the way, you need to go so-and-so down the street and every couple months and you need to have demons cast out of you because it's just not, it's just not sufficient. And the deliverance ministers won't say it's not sufficient. They will say, well, we believe Christ is sufficient. But your teachings don't support that sufficiency. That's the problem. They don't, what you're saying and what you're teaching do not line up with scripture. And it's, and it's devastating. It's damaging people for the sake of followers, for the sake of money, for the sake of building an empire, building your own kingdom. Yeah. I hope that people will listen because it, it's, it's out of great concern. We really, I, I really want to see people delivered from the domain of darkness and to really understand what scripture says, because what scripture has to say in context is far better than what any of these deliverance ministers will ever tell you. Really? That's really well said, you know, and this just takes us back to the beginning. And, you know, I said at the beginning, you know, we're going to start, we're going to rewind things a bit and, and begin like a runner at the start line. And really we're just continuing to go, you know, ready, set, go, you know, we're on go here because not enough people are understanding that this movement is undermining the sufficiency of scripture, as we talked about, and it's undermining the sufficiency of Christ. And it's laying a heavy yoke and a burden on people that cannot be sustained. They they cannot get the help that they need. If you have to continue to go back to Isaiah Salvador and others, and it, and it reminds me of something actually that you said in another conversation. But when we played the the you know Greg Locke's mass deliverance thing, you said, you know, why don't they just play that over and over again? It's a good right. question. Why don't they? Why yeah. don't they keep playing that over and over again? And and then the question is for Isaiah Salvador. Um, if you think that that's true, you know that maybe he could play that over and over again, you know, which he's never said, but if he's done that mass deliverance, 
why does somebody need to go to you or Greg Locke or Alexander Pagani or any number of people need to come to you for ongoing deliverance? It's just that 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 makes no logical sense. Why would anybody need to go to you if they can just go watch that you know video and see a mass deliverance uh, and they can be delivered? Or uh, Mike Signorelli, you know, yeah. he can just you can just watch his video and he'll walk you through the steps of self deliverance. So nobody yep. ever needs to. There's so much uh, videos and episodes out there. So why does anybody ever need to go to anybody and pay and pay them? You know, major bucks like Doreen talked about in another episode, and yep. it's just like, wait a minute, that when you when you start to ask those kind of questions, um, I hope that the 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 red flags are coming up, and that the concern level should be there. Um, your discernment radar should be on red alert. It should be at the highest level. You know, we're, we're at we're at DefCon one here, folks. We're we're at the high. We should be at the highest level of readiness. Um, this is leading people astray. It's taking people away from the truth. And, and in fact, Greg Locke boasts we're bringing so many Baptists over. Okay, great. You're bringing so many Baptists over and who are unregenerate then. Um, yep. because, you know, any, any regenerate Christian who knows anything of the truth of the Bible, they're going to be able to see through this once, once they're shown and, and it's shown, this is what this is. Any regenerate Christian would be like, I am repulsed by that. Um, so if you're a regenerate Christian, um, you, you should be repulsed by this and you should flee. Um, if your church is teaching this, if your church is practicing this, you should I, I give you permission to, for lack of a better way to say it, I give you permission to leave your church. Um, you go tell your pastor that Dave Jenkins said that, and uh, they'll be like, who's Dave Jenkins? But it doesn't matter. But seriously, flee that church. They're not preaching the gospel. They're not offering you real help. They're not going to walk alongside of you. They're, they're not going to help you in the midst of your marriage and your midst of your relationship. They're not going to come alongside of you and pray for you. Um, they just want to align their pocket pocketbook full of bucks and more bucks and more bucks and get more and more followers that look at look at you mentioned seven hundred thousand um youtube subscribers uh, greg Locke has a million twitter followers i mean these guys have um all these demon slayers they have massive followings and because when yep. all you care about is more and more followers you're going to say more and more outrageous things and people are like hmm i've never heard that before so i'm attracted to that um, but it, sooner or later, people are going to realize uh, that's not any good, and they're going to go away from that. Um, and and the more and more, you know, I think you and I talk about it, and more and more other people are talking about it, which I think is happening um, as well. Uh, they're going to keep getting exposed. And for us, as Dom was sharing, this isn't about followers. This isn't about selling books. This isn't about growing our platform. Um, uh, for me, I've already had that for 20 plus years. So uh, that's the least concern I have. Um, the, the concern that I have is that people, the lost be reached, that they be converted, that that those who are, are being hurt by this movement, that they would be helped instead by the word of God and by the grace of God revealed in the word. And so that they can be disciples of Christ. Um, and then they can be helped to find a solid local church where they're going to experience um, the 
uh, the preaching of a biblically qualified man of God um, who is going to preach to them, you know, scripture verse by verse and line by line and actually help them um, and, and others and doing life with God's people. Like you talked about biblical discipleship, life on life discipleship and doing life in even small groups. Um, this is how our marriages are going to thrive as well. Um, how, how kids are going to grow to, to in their discipleship as well. And, and on and on we could go. I mean, but, but the danger is, is when you undermine the sufficiency of scripture, you undermine the sufficiency of Christ revealed in the word. And, and that causes all sorts of issues as we've seen today, all across the board from, from the beginning point, um, where you're starting to talk to somebody in evangelism all the way to the end, um, where, you know, somebody's going to go to eternity. And at the end of the day, if, if, if we're not concerned about from the beginning, from the evangelism side, the first conversation, sharing the gospel with somebody to the end, um, just keep your mouth shut. That's what I'll say. We should care about the beginning evangelism all the way to when somebody goes be with the Lord. That that's the whole process of the Christian life from beginning to end. I mean, and then there's everything in between. And where's the rest of it in between? So, like you like you said, they they don't even have a gospel that really helps. And I think at the end of the day, that's the most egregious thing. And um, so, any any last thoughts, Don? Uh, one last thought I would have for people that may that may hear this that would agree with with Deliverance Ministry as far as what we're talking about in the aspect of deliverance ministry, the modern deliverance ministry. Um, I know for myself, I've listened to many of these videos and, and I'll say as far as building my platform, I can assure you, whoever's listening, um, this does not gain me followers. (laughs) If anything, in the past several years I've lost. Um, and so I consider that gain for Christ. As far as deliverance ministry is concerned, I would ask, I would Consider this thought. When you hear someone that is misappropriating scripture to support their teaching of deliverance ministry, you need to ask yourself what Christ they're presenting to you. Because if just as Dave was talking about the sufficiency of the scripture and the sufficiency of Christ, someone who would take the word of God, the very word of God, and twist it and contort it, whether they mean to do it or not, whether it's intentional or unintentional because they're deceived themselves. I don't know their motives, but God knows their motives. For someone to take scripture and twist it and contort it, they are not presenting the truth to you, which means they're presenting something else to you that is not bearing witness with what scripture actually says. And that is dangerous. And it's not something to ignore. It is something to test. It is something to make sure that what the word of God says in context is being bear wit- is, is bearing witness with what they're saying. Because at the end of the day, those of us who are born again believers, the desire is there to glorify Christ in everything we do. We are, we are told over and over in scripture, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We are to conduct ourselves in such a way that we're glorifying Christ. What glory does it bring to Christ when the scripture is not presented correctly? And if we're, and if that teaching is being perpetuated and it's telling you these things that aren't found in scripture, then it's drawing you away from Christ and unto these individuals and unto something that can't save you and can't give you true freedom to understand what, what Christ really did on the cross and what true deliverance is and that what he did was sufficient and what the word says about it is sufficient. And that's enough. 
And, and I would just encourage you and challenge you with that for those that are listening. That's really well said, Don. Well, well, everybody, we're going to continue. This is just the beginning. We hope that uh, as we continue to talk about these things, that it will be, you know, helpful to you um, with the goal that, you know, uh, uh, we want you to know Christ revealed in the word. And we yeah. want you to be in a in a church where you're hearing, you know, God glorifying uh, preaching and God glorifying worship. Uh, where the scriptures are opened and the songs are saturated in, you know, scriptural and sound theology. So uh, thank you guys for listening or watching. And until next time, God bless you. For joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. You can also email me at dawnatlovesubscribe.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll consider leaving a five-star review and that you'll even share it with others who may benefit from the information provided. If you also like reading, you can subscribe to my blog at lovesixscribe.com, where I release weekly blogs that correlate with the podcast episodes. I've enjoyed our time together today, and I look forward to our next time together as we dive into biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.